0: A million great ideas die instantly every day because they lack a plan or funding or you name it. We need more conversations about the soul inside the idea. The wind blows warm at a quarter to five. The sky's still dark, but my mind's alive. You live beside me, dreaming of the sea. At least that's what it looks like to me. I'm Mark Ackler. At this stage in my life and career, the guiding principles I use are joyful innovation, building community, and teaching and practicing empathy. Welcome to The Real Work, presented by UBS, a show that gets to the heart and soul of building the pathways to making something, well, real. The voices you'll hear here are humble and honest, self-critical and strong, like Jim Cohn. A design thinker for innovative brands like Starbucks, Sodexo, and Redbox, amongst others. Jim fuels teams with the courage needed to sustain their commitment to new products and experiences.
1: Let's call it your vision. Let's call it your values. Because fundamentally, we could just design some generic thing, but that wouldn't be you. So who are you? In this episode a crash
0: course in finding the reason for the work you do. I'm Mark Ackler.
1: Let's get to the real work. It's always a joy to talk to you. And it's really interesting to discuss this subject of, you know, doing the work and what doing the work means to folks.
0: Let's give our audience a little bit of background
1: on you. Like, who are you? So who am I? Uh, This this is a frequent answer that most people go to, well, uh, you know, in my career over the last 80 years. So let's start with who I am. Um, I I consider myself a pretty creative person and have had the real privilege to be immersed in creative pursuits since I was a kid. Uh, And I grew up around creative people. Um, My father was an aspiring artist that ended up in the fur business. My brother was a designer and ended up in a design firm with me. My uncle Elihu was a profoundly great graphic designer and sculptor. And so all of that was going on, and I grew up on the Lower East Side and had a a, a really great introduction to New York art museums, the art scene, and the art world. So I'm a creative person, um, and I'm happy to say that I've had a lot of Profound life adventures, both in business and in my personal life that have formed me into, um, you know, who I am today, um, being able to uh, help advise folks and help design things with a big D. Also,
0: let's talk a little bit about music. You mentioned art. You mentioned design. I know how important they are to you. But where does music play a, a role in your life?
1: Yeah, so uh, my brother played the guitar, and he's eight years older than me. So, as I grew up, there was always a guitar sitting around the house, and my parents listened to show tunes. Here's the context it's like the late 50s, the early 60s. And I just happened to grow up in the zone of the burgeoning folk scene in New York, you know, playing guitars around um, uh, Washington Square Park. Um, the emergence of Bob Dylan and everything around that. And then I gravitated to rock and roll as soon as the Beatles got on Ed Sullivan. So I was always involved in music. I went to the high school of music and art, which was this magnificent, still is, public school uh, where you chose to major in either art or music and, you know, to get in. Uh, And so I was an art major and most of the art majors played music. So I I grew up with music in me. Um, There's always a song in my head.
0: And so how has that translated into your business work? You you talked about it as creativity. I I think of it more like the essence of the soul, the soul of of a person, the soul of a brand, the soul of a company. You know, I think of you as a very soulful person. So, So talk to us about that.
1: My belief is the essence of, of creativity, let's call it art, design, music, theater, comes from a place that we're not always in touch with and, and we have to go inwards to find it, you know. Uh, there's many stories about songwriters that write songs and, and they don't even know where that music is coming from. And I was in touch with that as an individual on my level growing up. And I got involved in the world of design on the interior design front, which is sort of like the metaphor for looking in, right? And so I kept looking for the reason uh, in the work that I do, to get at the soul of the solution for a client. Uh, and, And I guess it comes from my penchant for being creative and being involved in that inner pursuit that we voice externally. And so I look for that all the time in personal development work that I do with people, as well as design projects where we're looking for the why, the basis, um, the party, as we call it in architecture, you know, the reason first, as opposed to applying it later.
0: So can you take those words and make it concrete and give some examples of some of the work that you've done?
1: Early on, and there's a little backstory here, Um, I was in the architectural interior design business for the first 20 years of my career, and again, looking for the soul of things. And so, when we designed a corporate headquarters and walk into the CEO's office and we're doing a million square foot project, the first questions we ask are about, what do you believe in? How can we guide this project with something that is, let's call it your stance, Let's call it your vision, let's call it your values, because fundamentally, we could just design some generic thing, but that wouldn't be you. So who are you? And um, fundamentally, the first question we, we ask is, who are you, what do you believe in? And how can those beliefs help shape what we're about to go do with you? Because it will keep you focused it will keep you differentiated. It will build equity in your brand. Yeah. Yeah. Makes
0: total sense. And and so give us some examples. So that was from the early days in your career. And then as you have progressed, tell us about your work.
1: The work started, uh, you know, in, in architecture. And, and as I said, we had the great privilege of being able to sell our firm to a public corporation in the late eighties. And um, I, you know, kind of got out of that, but, Along that time frame, I was living in Seattle, and um, some people in a meeting with me, this is 1990 or so, said, you need to meet Howard Schultz. And I said, okay, I do. And within two weeks, uh, I was in Howard's office, and he was making me coffee in a French press, and he also introduced me to Howard Bihar, which has had a profound influence on my life. And we talked about the soul of things. And ultimately, Starbucks became a client about ten years later because they had drifted a bit mm-hmm. from the original purpose. So, to your question about who and how Starbucks was a client to refine the defining characteristics of that brand and bring them to life again on a global platform. Wow. Yeah, it was about going deep and then and then understanding the scale of the business at that point. So it had gone international. And Howard said this really wonderful thing about, we don't want like, to bring Seattle to Italy and, and paper it all over a building that's you know uh, uh, 300 years old. like That wouldn't be smart. So the defining characteristics of the brand had to be reignited. And that kind of work, finding the soul of things, and turning it into something tangible has been the process. Um, so I've done extensive work for Starbucks A bunch of other retail concepts like noodles and company and coffee bean and tea leaf have been clients where we've created new retail prototypes out of that stuff. And then there's a whole field of work that is less tangible but as important for organizations trying to um, kind of up the ante in the non-for-profit world. So I did a large project here in Chicago for the Joyce Foundation years ago about bringing historically excluded people into arts organizations and into the arts. Um, And again, it was about, so what do we all believe in and how can we build a model and mechanism that would allow you to grow this? And that exists today as Enrich Chicago.
0: Wow, your body of work and your teachings are so important. So, in my class at Northwestern, I ask my students, I say, and mostly on a, from a technology perspective, I say, what comes first? The uh, product or the brand? Yeah. And, you know, 99% of the students will always, or entrepreneurs will always say, well, we build the product first. Right. How, how would you answer that?
1: Yeah, I would say the brand, but I I also say, here's the caveat, and the caveat is this. There's a school of folks like me that believes that the brand is everything you do and say. It is the entire gestalt of your business. And so your product should reflect that, your organization should reflect that, and everything you do internally and externally should reflect that, and that's what builds the equity of a brand. So to the product folks that are anxious to go make something, we say, yes, you should. But it's got to be based on these values and hopefully a set of design principles, or you may just call them principles, that are the directives from which you design things. Otherwise, you're just making stuff. And that stuff may not be your stuff. It may belong to somebody else. you know, designing uh, with criteria around it that are values and principles really helps form what you make.
0: I, I would also add that in my world, the technology world, that most products are overbuilt, have too many features. I'm a big believer in simplicity. And one of the challenges is if you really don't understand your customer, don't understand the brand, the essence of the brand, my question is how do you prioritize what to build and how to present it? Yep. A lot of programmers or product managers, their response is to build lots of things and see what sticks. And then you just get jumble.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, you could do that along a path that aligns with something that you believe in. Uh, And often I say to clients, okay, so we have this set of beliefs and values and principles, right? And then there's the opportunity space, which could be vast. You know, it's kind of like, I see all these wonderful things out there and we should go do them. And I'm like, you should do the ones that align with what you believe in. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What are they? otherwise, you know, remember Sears when Sears decided to sell both tires, popcorn, dental services, eyeglasses, and paint? Uh, it didn't work out so well. And don't forget siding and automobile repair. Right. Everything. They forgot they were in the hardware business originally. And, you know, what happened? It, you know, it's it's you, you can get diffused and not effective. Um, I think that brands that know themselves really well, Apple would be a great case in point. Look how little stuff they actually make. Of the choices of things you could make with that hub behind you, it's a very limited selection of offerings that are highly focused. Um, And and that's what's important. Um, And yes, brands flex and change as they evolve and new leaders come on board. But without the gyroscope, the internal driver in place and tight, you could wander all over the place and and lose value.
0: My conversation with Jim Cohn continues after a short break. I'm really proud to partner with UBS again. This time on The Real Work Podcast. It's a rich relationship that began with sharing the story, the book I co-wrote with Meritah Sherry, called Exit Right. In writing the book, we wanted to help entrepreneurs to be more intentional about their legacy, especially when it comes to selling their business. Exit Right teaches where deals get into trouble, how to create alignment between negotiating parties, and what terms of a deal you should care about most. As a leading global wealth manager, UBS knows how to work with entrepreneurs and business owners at all stages of their journey and legacy, their purpose statement is reimagining the power of investing, connecting people for a better world. That gets to the heart of what drives me every day empathy matters. Let's face it, starting and growing a business is hard. It's why UBS reminds their clients to begin with the end in mind learn more and find an advisor near you, go to UBS.com slash business services. UBS.com slash business services. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS Group AG member FINRA SIPC. I'm uh, asking all of my guests on this series uh, two questions. Can I ask you a couple questions? Sure. All right. The first is, when you wake up in the morning, what makes you smile?
1: Hmm. Yeah. So, being alive, being fully alive, um, knowing that there's blue sky out there, although in Chicago during the winter, maybe not so much, (laughs) (laughs) but... uh, Knowing that there's blue sky and opportunity out there and people interested in learning. That's what turns me on. And
0: by the way, I would totally expect that answer from you. <laughs> if there was one word to encapsulate who you are that describes Jim Cohen, what would that one word be?
1: Um, yeah, this is a tricky one. So the first thing that came to mind is survivor. Um, and because of... Stuff that's happened to me uh, uh, physically, I've been kind of medically challenged for a couple of years. Uh, And I don't wear it like, woe is me badge. It's like, ah, you know, I actually uh, saw myself through some stuff that was important. And the the other one might be something around adamant. Um, I feel like I'm pretty focused on this stuff uh, and the work that I do and its value to folks. And the echoes back uh, confirm that.
0: Uh, I would agree. I think those are two very well well said, well thought through points. I, I was thinking about this for you. One other word I would choose when I think of you is curious mm-hmm. because you are always, you, you have such a great mind that's always seeking out so you know, the, the the name of this podcast series is the real work. The yeah.
1: like
0: the, the work behind the work, like the real right. right. And I always think like you have that kind of penetrating mind, that curiosity, that's always trying to seek like why is somebody really doing what they're doing?
1: Right. Uh, and, and I appreciate that. And, and I, I feel that way. I'm the kid that took the clocks apart, you know, when you're away. <laughs> right. They come home and go, What the hell did you just do? I'm like, I don't know. I wanted to see what was inside. Um, yeah. And I come from a line of this. I will tell you that my, my, my mother's dad, my, my grandfather, Max Berliner, was the chief civil engineer of New York City.
0: Oh, how cool is that?
1: And uh, he was an engineer, right? You know, like he, and he was always tinkering, and he brought the Lionel trains home. And, and so I, I had that going on along with this sort of um, sympathy for empathy, you know, like looking for the, 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 the humanness in, in, in all and in the solution. And I think the combination is a powerful thing, around those of us charged with thinking through and looking at the future and bringing people along and teaching leaders to lead effectively in this market these days as well.
0: So you are oftentimes a change agent and sometimes a change agent is welcomed with open arms. (laughs) You know where I'm going, right? Yes. (laughs) And, And you know, Sometimes, you, you know, don't shoot the messenger.
1: Right. Sometimes not so much.
0: Yeah, and sometimes not so much. So, so like, how, how do you navigate that? How do you navigate those waters?
1: Right. I think that, one, the, the rule for me is always tell the truth. And, and sometimes, you know, that's a difficult choice because sometimes the truth hurts. And this is in organizations as well as in one-on-one coaching. However... I would be remiss if I didn't. And I always remember that. How that message is delivered and the kind of empathy we have for the situation is the the difference, right? So I do my best to say, I know you all believe in this, and I think this is really important to you. However, (laughs) it's not going to get you where you need to go. And let's open that dialogue up and bring people into the conversation and be unbelievably respectful but also, I would have no value if I didn't do that. It would just be another consultant with a report.
0: Yeah, life is short. One of my favorite VCs is a guy named Brad Feld. He's written a bunch of books. He's a great guy. And, and Brad has a saying, which is
1: brutal honesty delivered kindly. Right. Right. Because right. Like, life is short. And you have to put yourself in the shoes of the receiver of this information. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and one of the things we talk about in design a lot these days, and it can sound like it's, you know, hokum, but it, it really isn't, is the first step is empathy. So to be empathic, you have to know yourself too. And we, we try to open that dialogue up with leaders and do our best to to understand our own behaviors in this process so that we're showing up like an empathetic human talking to another person that has an issue that we can help with of course
0: i'm a huge believer in kind as you know in kindness and i i think it's a it's a it's a secret weapon that many times business people don't realize how important the value of kindness is
1: Right. I'd add to it, to sense of humor. And I don't mean, ha-ha. Of course. It's like, no, no. There's quizzical stuff that goes on in this world. Uh, we should be reminded of that. And things are serious, but sometimes they're not really that serious. And if we can be, um, you know, sort of quizzical and humorous about it, I think it, it breaks down a lot of barriers. Everybody gets to laugh, and then we move on.
0: I agree. I I think humor is so important. I actually wanted to write a story. I haven't done this yet. Do some research on this. It's one of those things that when it works, can be phenomenal. And when it doesn't, it can really backfire,
1: right? Right. Don't try to write a joke in an email. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) A lot of this has to do with the tone, right? You can get the tone completely misread and it, the joke turns into some horror story. Um, but I think, you know, there's this, this sort of... Um, years ago, a management consultant came to work with our firm. Much needed at the time. We were about 125 people, lots of partners. And one of the things that he said you guys need to read is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Doug Adams. It's been my Bible ever since. And, I give, and clients go, what are you talking about? I said, read this book. right? <laughs> You'll understand that things aren't quite that bad and <laughs> kind of funny.
0: <laughs> right. All you need is a towel and, you know, and, and, and thanks for all the fish.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's been one of my guides in, in doing the work, you know. And, and you're right. There's internal work that we need to do as human beings, as leaders, as people charged with responsibility. And then there's like the labor of doing things, which I also love, like making things.
0: Yeah. Hey, so you alluded to some of your health challenges. And and I know it's been a, a struggle for you. How has that impacted your thinking, your sort of um, your philosophical approach to life? And like... Like, how, how has that impacted your day-to-day?
1: It certainly made me pause. It's made me thankful for people that are there on this planet who every day try to help us, uh, in the healthcare profession especially. I mean, I've spent many dark nights in hospitals uh, over the last few years, and uh, the people that come and pull you up in the bed to keep you positioned correctly at three in the morning, unbelievable. Like, and, and so when we think about empathy and we think about being a human being and how fragile this whole thing is that we're living in, I have profound respect for the human condition and how fragile it is and for the people that help us survive when we can't help ourselves, when they when we absolutely can't do it and they're there to keep us alive.
0: Yeah, and what a tough job and thankless job. Right. Uh, right. And and most of the time all they hear is people complaining. Yeah. So like right, like and one of the things that, that like I was so inspired by you was your 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 attitude of this is a team, I'm like like we're gonna pull through, we're gonna do it together. And these are people who care about me and love me, and I love them back.
1: Right. And tell them that you do. Right. And often I find myself thanking them profusely because, one, I don't think they hear it enough. And having spent a lot of time in a hospital, the stuff you hear around you is unsettling. From people that just, they're trying to take care of you. They're not trying to hurt you. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Don't be nasty. This, this, this little place that we live and the space that we occupy on this planet for such a brief period of time, what can we do to, uh, to, to live fully, even if you're ill, and affect the lives of the people around you in a positive way uh, and let them know that you care about their work? Because when you leave, they're still there. And the next person comes in and lies in that bed the next day and it's 24 hours a day.
0: Hey, so let me ask you a question. So if you could go back in time and you could talk to your you know, your 22-year-old self or even your 18-year-old self, what kind of words of wisdom would you give your younger self?
1: Because I lived in this world of... You know, you're some weird artist, rock and roll musician for a while. I would tell myself it's okay to be highly creative and to push the boundaries around creativity. Um, I didn't hear enough of that in my home. Um, and it's proven to be the thing that pulls me through. It's, 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 it's okay to be the creative self, um, whatever creativity means to you. And I, I honestly believe that everybody's creative. I just had a big dose in a couple of different ways. Like I could have been a musician, I could have been a fine artist, uh, I chose the design path, c- kind of married some of both, and it was businesslike, um, and it was successful. But pushing the boundaries around creativity um, and telling myself to do that and continually do that is a good mantra.
0: So uh, one of the questions I always like to ask and I, and I agree with you. By, by the way, if I were to go back and give myself a little advice, pushing the boundaries, especially when you're younger, pushing the boundaries, uh, really, really important. Yeah. The other thing I would say is invest in relationships, that relationships are not transactional, mm-hmm. that relationships matter right. over time. Right? And sometimes, you know, my younger self, I don't know that I would have, I appreciated that as much
1: yeah that's a good lesson our business for years focused on relationships and they, they were you know they were with corporations but they were also with individuals within them and what I found over time is because I took the time to build them and we you know we did the work but we also did we we took them out to dinner we you know we we created a real relationship with them and that's where the phone calls 10 years later come from You know, like, I remember that night or something. And yes, the project was the project, but there's the relationship and the relationship builds other relationships. And that's how we grow.
0: Yeah. Hey, before we, we sign off on this interview, you've had an impact on so many people's lives. You've had such a big impact on my life. And one of my favorite stories is the phone call I got (laughs) <laughs> on, on a friday afternoon that said hey look i know this sounds crazy but i need you to show up in new mexico <laughs> right. on monday right just trust me right. can you, and you know you're gonna that, like this you're going to right can you tell us a little bit about the work you've done at corkins because boy you've touched so so many people's lives with that
1: oh thank you thank you it is a true joy to do it so uh, we do this thing every year called the Corkins Exchange, which is doesn't get a lot of notoriety, purposely. But the work there is 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 experiential learning. Learning about yourself, challenging yourself with the outdoors in a magnificent environment in New Mexico at about eighty five hundred feet up, um, and building community with people. That purposely you don't know at all until a few days before you arrive, and for me the magnificence of it is to see that evolution, to see those people evolve uh, and get to know each other, and um, you know sort of miraculously overnight form a community that does things together. So um, I'm one of the hosts that guides that experience and. Um, it is it is a magnificent thing to do every year and, and bring people into the fold to do it. Yeah.
0: No, I, I have to tell you, it's one of the highlights of of my year and my life when I have a chance to go up into the mountains with you guys and make new friends and, and just be creative and explore the outdoors and it's such a gift and I just wanna say thank you.
1: Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to see it grow and great to have you part of the community.
0: Yeah, and you're such a good facilitator. I, like for anybody who's listening, have Jim as a, uh, as a guide, as a Sherpa. In fact, Sherpa is one of the words we used you use to describe yourself. Uh, yeah. you know, help if people want to learn more about you and your work, where do they go?
1: jimcohensherpa.com. <laughs> there you go. And the Sherpa name came from an IDEO team that I had the great privilege to include in a project. And I think Fred Dust uh, actually called me a Sherpa for the first time probably 15 years ago or something. And it stuck. And so that uh, somehow I'm wired to have the ability to kind of see over the horizon and know that we'll get there and know the path and bring people along.
0: Final question for you. Like, why should somebody reach out to you? What can you do? How can you help?
1: So on a personal level, and I've been doing a lot of one-on-one coaching these days, it is about finding self and applying it to your life. Uh, You know, going deep into what you really believe in and quickly getting to application. So I believe in this. Here are the opportunities I'm facing. Let's talk about and move through which ones to pursue that are right for me. On a personal level. On a project level, it's very similar. Going deep, looking in, finding the things that guide us, and applying them to solutions that manifest themselves in a variety of ways. Jim Cohn,
0: Sherpa, friend, thank you for everything. The wind blows warm at a quarter to five. The sky's still dark, but my mind's alive. You lay beside me dreaming of a sea. At least that's what it looks like to me. That's what it looks like to me. That's what it looks like to me. our show if you like what you heard spread the word across your social channels the real work presented by UBS is a noteworthy original podcast the executive producer is Kristen Toos our show is produced by Todd Manley and the theme music was created by my dear friend the great Peter Himmelman I'm Mark Ackler thanks for listening